Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Coming up next on the Liverbird Sailing Podcast. You've got a boat. The sea is your highway. And if it's your highway, there's no stopping it. It's not just four lanes. It's a billion lanes. You can't get lost. If you get lost, well, lucky you. Because you'll be having an adventure of a lifetime finding your way out of it. And that's what it's all about. Welcome to the podcast. I am your host, Annika. On the Liverboard Sailing Podcast, I chat with awesome people who live, work, and travel on their sailboats. My guests share inspiring stories and real-life advice about the lifestyle so that you and I can be better prepared for our sailing adventures. In this episode, you'll hear wonderful sailing stories and get advice and encouragement to lead an adventurous life. My guest is David Haig, who retired at 60 and prepared his 40-foot steel sailboat for a few years of sailing. Those few years turned into a 12-year circumnavigation, with highlights such as voyaging up the Danube and down the Rhine River in Europe, Norway's Arctic Circle, and cruising the Baltic to Russia. What's interesting about David's approach is that even though he left on a trip by himself, he often took on a crew for longer passages, and he actually gives a lot of good advice on sailing with crew. Now, after his circumnavigation, David shares his life and his sailboat with someone who has been a guest on the podcast before, Lynn Party. If you go back to Lynn's interview on Season 2, Episode 6, she talks about meeting David and sailing with him. David is a great storyteller, and he has a lot of adventures to talk about, so let's get started. I am very excited to talk with you about your 12-year circumnavigation, but before we get to all of that, I would love to talk about making the decision to leave on this kind of trip, because you started the trip after you retired. So 
First of all, was the circumnavigation a long-time dream for you? Well, I learned to sail when I was only about eight, I think. Um, my father bought a little 12-foot dinghy. He knew nothing about sailing. And uh, we sailed it off a beach, um, which was very rough when you went through the bar in North Queensland. And uh, so that was the start. You know, we sailed across to a bar on the other side and we didn't know how to turn it around. So we, t- we pushed off and left my brother on the bar and then shot back to the other side and turned it over again. That was the beginning of my sailing career. And I used to go through magazines called Seacraft, which is an Australian magazine. I used to buy, I didn't buy them, my father did, of course. And uh, I'd pile them up anyone I could get, and I'd go through from top to bottom and bottom to top. You know, I was, if you like, youthfully obsessed with yachting and sailing. And I always thought, wouldn't it be wonderful to be able to sail around the world on a yacht? So, um, yes, I started when I was about eight, and I've had a pretty adventurous life. So... If you put the two together, um, I guess uh, it wasn't really a big stretch for me to take on the world's oceans. And of course, as we've discussed, I was in the British Merchant Navy as a cadet. And again, uh, I just went ahead and joined it. Um, I actually heard about the Merchant Navy in, I think it was December, and joined a ship in in, in January, and uh, a British ship. So I, I I guess you could say I was a bit crazy or fearless, whichever way you like to put it. But um, I was, uh, A, reared in adventure, B, sailing, and C, I saw the world, and I saw how wonderful it would be to have a little boat. And uh, I then, when I was uh, with my three children, I had a little 28-foot boat, a little Canoestern Australian boat called a Swanson 28. And uh, I had that for years before I decided... uh, to retire from my university position and, and go sailing. Yeah, and that's when I got into the, the big stuff, if you like. I chose a boat, um, a designer, Vanderstadt, and I did that because I decided that the most important part of the boat is not the inside, it's the shape of the outside. Um, and a good designer knows what they're doing. So I, I chose a Dutch designer where they put them into tanks and properly test their designs. And um, and I think that's paid off as Savula, my 36, but actually 40 foot because it's been extended. Steel Landestat has been a very successful boat for me. Um, and uh, and the way I went. But I guess I left what in 2008 and uh, off I went. And I don't know, I just kept going, you know. And it seemed, I thought it was a three year trip and then it was a five year and it ended up a 12 year. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask if it, if the plan was to go for many years, but it sounds like the the plan uh, the the trip got longer as it went along. <laughs> I, I warn everybody who goes into the cruising game in the overseas sense that you are not starting on what you think you are in time. You will extend it um, unless you're obsessed with getting a job again or you don't have the funds or something. But I had the funds. I was retired. And uh, I didn't need much money. I mean, it was very easy. I think you can cruise on around about, well, this is Australian dollars at the time, but ten or $20,000 a year. But that doesn't mean you're going to be out at restaurants and drinking beer. I don't drink, I might say, and I don't smoke. So I'm <laughs> too healthy. So, um, you know, you can live off a very small amount of money. Yeah, oh, of course. And I am curious because I've uh, talked to a lot of people in their 30s 
um, who have started uh, the same kind of plan to set out sailing for X amount of time that's undetermined. And I've talked to them about how they have prepared. And, and a lot of it is, you know, quitting your job and selling your house and, and or finding a job that you can take with you, some sort of a combination of things. So how did those last, uh, I guess, last few months before you left look like for you? What were the things that you were doing to prepare to leave as uh, a retired person? Well, I had to get the boat ready. And for four years before I left, I was at the university and I would sneak down there to the boat and I had it re-sandblasted, repainted and uh, new hatches. And I did all that stuff. I made sure that I did the work. I had a very good helper. He was a New Zealand boat builder, come painter, who lived in Townsville, where I was. And he offered to instruct me. And I didn't want him to do the work. I wanted to do it myself so I could be self-reliant. Because being a pen pusher, that is a lawyer, I, uh, I, well, I didn't consider myself all that practical. But I had to learn. And I think that's most important, as it increases your confidence, not only in your boat, but how you prepared it, and how you will deal with those times when really that expertise is going to mean the difference between pushing on or getting off a lee shore um, and, and moving in success, successful succession around the world or wherever you are. So I prepared pretty well. I, I In the last few months, well, uh, I was fortunate in that I got a little extra money from the university and uh, in retirement. And I then bought a new engine, as I do believe that no matter what the engine you've got in, unless it's a few months old, replace it if you can. Um, because the one thing that will completely ruin your trip will be the engine. Um, you can somehow get by with sales, secondhand sales, but an engine, if it keeps breaking down, is terribly, terribly um, difficult to deal with um, if you're not an engineer. If you're an engineer, well, sure. And you can go and do courses on engineering, but, you know, frankly, uh, unless you're there repairing them all the time, you'll lose all that, but at least lose enough of it to make it a disaster. Um, so uh, I think replacing the engine just before I left was a great thing. I put in a Yamaha, 50, 50, a Yanmar, sorry, 54. And it's just been wonderful. And I, I put it this way. It hasn't taught me to be an engineer. That's the important <laughs> thing. <laughs> so, and I've been, I've that engine, I've used it in the canals of Europe and everywhere. So it's been a very successful little mate of mine on board. And I put on a self-steering system. I put an Aries wind vane. Um, but that wasn't successful. Uh, because I think it was also second-hand and probably wasn't that great, a, great an item. But uh, on a centre cockpit boat, um, the Aries system, which is the, the pendulums that goes back and forth, um, doesn't work all that well because you've got to guide it through to your, to your, uh, to your steering system, which in this case was a wheel, uh, in the middle of the boat, or at least in the middle half of the boat. And I... Um, found that was too much delay, so it wobbled around. Uh, that wasn't a great success. But then eventually I put on a hydrovane, which is an independent system. But if you're trying to save money, then a hydrovane is a bit expensive. But they are very good, and it's done me wonderful work, no problem. So, yes, I did prepare the boat pretty well, and I had, a, I think, a new mainsail, uh, and uh, I let the headsails see how they how went. I replaced them as I went, uh, one in Turkey and another in England. The thing is not to do too much. Having said all that, it sounds like I was overloaded. 
but in fact, don't do too much. You know, don't do too much. The important thing is to say that date you've got is I am leaving then, and you'll be amazed how pointed you get to getting to that date. In other words, getting the jobs done that you want. But you've got to make sure you don't overdo it because if you overdo it, a you'll spend your cruising money, and b you'll get a little bit just uh, unhappy about things, and it'll take a while to get around that. So best not to spend a lot of money. Get your boat. Go for simplicity. You know, dare I say it, the party system. Go small, go small, go soon. <laughs> I'm a bit biased, aren't I? Liz, my partner, but you know, I followed that pretty closely. Um, I didn't read uh, very many books. In fact, Lynn finds it a little difficult that I haven't read her books. <laughs> but um, uh, I didn't read the books because if you're setting out on an adventure, you don't want to know what the adventure is. You want to go and have an adventure. That's taking a risk. You know, risk is part of adventure, whether you like it or not. Once you go out into that ocean, you're free of the land free of your mates, your friends, your mother, your father, and all the rest of them. You can get on your phone if you like, but it'll be hours, if not days, before they respond. So you've got to be independent. And, uh, you know, um, take it as it is. Get your boat ready, good and safe, as much as you can. Take the fact that this might be the end of you. It also might be the beginning of a great adventure. And I can almost guarantee you that it will be an adventure. You won't get into too much trouble. The sea is not that unkind. Yeah, exactly. Well, there was a lot of good takeaways there already. Not, you know, setting that date, not spending all your time and efforts on getting ready, but eventually actually leaving because that's what it's all about and getting to, to do that adventure. And uh, especially today, I, I think one could plan a trip, any trip with a lot of detail, with all the information that is available. So I can relate to that sense of like, let's just have something to be the unknown. You don't need to know everything. Like that's part of the adventure, right? To see see what's coming up. You essentially left on this uh, circumnavigation by yourself and you did it by yourself, but you weren't always sailing or crossing, crossing oceans by yourself. So where did you find these uh, able seamen that you <laughs> would sail with? That's right. Now, just before I get to that, I think there's a couple of points you've raised there which I might deal with, which are kind of premature to that. Uh, the thing I did was I had the Australian coast to sail up before I went to sea on my boat. So I went up the east coast from Townsville, which is in the north of Australia, and over the top to Darwin. And I'd signed on to the Indonesian Rally. It's called the Indonesian Rally, I think, which is run by a couple of Indonesian people under the auspices of the government. And so you get around a lot of the bureaucracy problems that can exist in the villages and ports of Indonesia. And what a wonderful cruising country it is. I mean, you won't get better than that. And so I had uh, some 300 people from all over the world, over 100 yachts on this rally uh, through Indonesia. Wonderfully organized, had a great time, uh, 12 ports. And uh, so it was a good start. Uh, people talk about rallies being somehow, mm, it takes away my sense of adventure. But it won't do that because the moment you leave the port, like we left in Darwin with 100 yachts, you don't see them again until they get to the other port where they're going. Um, your, your experience is, well, it, again, it just builds your confidence because you've got people who've got all the same problems. A lot of them have been on, on nearly around the world anyway, and they'll tell you what their experiences are. 
and you make some great friends. You'll see them for the rest of your cruising days um, because you'll keep in touch with them. But also on your continuing trip, they will be somehow or other turning up in the ports you go to. And you think, good heavens, there they are over there. Um, and it's a great fun. It's great fun to meet them, of course, and other people you haven't met. But it's a, a nice, not a club. I wouldn't call it a club, but it's a it's a very um, nice association. Um, and you get them from all over the world. So yes, a rally at the beginning, if you can do it, which is a good rally, like the Indonesian rally, uh, takes you through to Singapore without any hassles, and that's a great plus. If you were running into all the uh, problems that the villages they all run independently, can possibly put up uh, the local harbour masters, not just Indonesia, then, you know, it can be a bit, bit um, well, you get a bit frustrated. But I didn't have hardly any of that, really. I can't say anywhere, wherever I've been, God knows I went to my place. Um, so, yes, that's a, that's a possibility. Now, I've been going on, I've lost track of where you actually wanted to ask the question. Oh, how did I find the crew? That's right. I'm not as bad as I thought. Um, <laughs> yes, because, you know, I took off when I was 60 and uh, 12 years. Well, it doesn't make, take much mathematics to work out how old I am. Um, but look, the crew, I found crews, I have three wonderful daughters. They would put it on Facebook that Dad needs a crew. And, of course, their young friends would say, I'm in it. Um, and I also did a, notices of backpackers, but also... Um, I did a bit of backpacking myself, and people find out that I was on a yacht and, and going cruising. They would ask me if they could join. So then I had the problem of who will I take? I mean, I've got too many. Um, I don't know. Somewhere along the line, you know that. You know, you know that. I had a couple of unsuccessful crews, uh, mainly because they're older people with a lot of experience. One of the criteria that I put into place was I wanted, preferably, no experience. Probably never even been on a boat in their life. Uh, one guy was from Berlin. I mean, I don't think he'd ever seen a yacht. So, yeah, look, it's no problem. People actually get put off cruising by the fact that they're single and don't have a crew. That shouldn't be the case. There are lots of crew out there. You'll be absolutely overwhelmed. Your problem will be to choose the ones. Um, the Berlin guy, um, he got in touch because he'd heard through my daughter's Facebook that I was looking for a crew across the Atlantic and uh, Tobias, and um, he sent me one email saying I'm going to do it, and I wrote back and said, oh, oh, okay, that's fine. I didn't send a photograph. I was taking a fair risk with this guy, but he was a physicist, you see, a young physicist. I think he might have been late 20s, early 30s. But anyway, I thought, okay, he's not stupid. Um, we'll take it. And it's hard. It was a little hard to get a crew from the Cape Verde Islands or the Canary Islands. Um, so then he sent me a note saying, I've, I'm on my way. And eventually he came over and this person arrived at the side of the boat. And he had a young girl with him. And I thought, oh, he said, I'm today. I said, oh, hello. Well, that's the first time we met. And the girl apparently went on the flight. He was a bit of a girl's man, and uh, which was wonderful because he'd find all these women and and they had cars, and I'd go for drives around the island with them. <laughs> it's kind of useful. <laughs> anyway, they're lovely people. And uh, so uh, he just turned up. I said to him later, I said, how did you decide, not knowing me, and I guess me not knowing you, that you know I was capable of not drowning you or something? 
Oh, he said, well, if you've got this far, then you must be all right. So I thought, okay. <laughs> that sound logic, yeah, that well, makes sense. Logic, but <laughs> but it, the thing about it is that he was into adventure. And look, if young people are into adventure, then I'm all for helping them enjoy that. Uh, a young Danish guy, I had, met him at a hostel, a backpackers in South America. Um, he kept pestering me. Um, emails pouring into my system. So I said, eventually, yes, of course, you can come. And he turned up um, at Panama and off we went. So, you know, there are various avenues to getting crew, but you can get crew. There is no doubt about it. You've got to be a bit careful. There are people. And how do you, who you might not want to trust, but how do you stop the idea that some of them might have drugs or something on board? After all, they're modern young people traveling the world, and we must be realistic. That is a problem. That is a problem. And it can be a critical problem. If you have drugs on your yacht and you're found out in any port of the world, you'll run the risk of losing a yacht, spending some time in jail, and having yourself, worse still, put on the international records of drug users, and you then will find it very difficult to get into some countries, and you'll be always watched. So that's always a worry. So how do you deal with that? Well, one charter skipper, he used to get their bags and tell them, open them, empty them, and I'm going to go through every bit of your baggage. I didn't do that. I li- listed a number of things. One, have you any legal actions against you? You see, being a lawyer, you couldn't avoid it. And, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, have, you, have you had any actions? I mean, not just criminal, but anything. Um, and uh, do you take drugs? Have you had any drugs? Are you on medicine? Are you on any drugs that are medicine? You know, can you swim? Um, you know, some of them are a bit silly, of course. Swimming out there, little bit landing might be a bit useless. But, um, you know, think just to find out a little more about them. Now, I would send them that on email, and uh, I was a little nervous about it, I might put them off. But I got back feedback. I got feedback that they actually appreciated that. It showed that I was genuine, that I did want a crew who would be you know, happy on board, uh, not cause me any problems. As they recognised that causing me any problems wasn't going to end well. So, uh, you know, that was that was a positive thing. So I trusted them. I had to trust them, didn't I? I mean, I didn't, for instance, do their... We, how did they pay? I mean, that's another question that flows from the cruise. And, and I asked them to pay half fuel, half food, and half marina costs. I would look after the yacht, completely free, of course. And, uh, but most important, I didn't do the books. I left the books to them. They actually went through and got all the accounts from the food that we bought and did up the figures, and then I just paid. I didn't argue, unless it was outrageous, which it never was. Um, and that way you build confidence with your crew. This is very important because two people who've never met one from Australia, one from Germany, Denmark, wherever they're from, all over the place. Uh, you know, it's a, it requires a little bit of getting through the cultural thing, getting through the friendship thing, um, the caution, the sense of slight fear. You're asking them onto a boat where they are committing. Um, they have families. Um, so you have those responsibilities in reverse, of course. You take responsibility for them, uh, and you must look after them. So, anyway, it all worked out well. 
like I say, my crew were, I think, pretty happy. Um, uh, and uh, like I said, we've, we've kept in touch. Yeah, well, that is an interesting take. And, and certainly raised uh, you raised some good points there, because, of course, when you are dealing with someone you don't know, you do kind of have to ask some of those basic questions. But I'm sure also, like you mentioned, the people who you took on board appreciated the fact that you were asking some of the questions so that they knew they're also not going to get on board with some criminal. <laughs> so I'm sure it worked both ways. <laughs> well, look, uh, there's been cases of a, a very large yacht, a wooden yacht, I think it was, uh, heading off across the Indian Ocean with five young people all having an adventure never seen again. Um, you know, you can't let that happen. Um, you have to be responsible. And, you know, I didn't take on couples as well, because it can be that you'll find yourself confronting two people then because they'll stay together, and that doesn't work. So I didn't take on couples. Uh, I didn't have any more than one crew. Um, I did have actually four crew at one point from Panama to the Galapagos, uh, but that was just uh, a taxi trip, really. After that, it was back to one again. So, you know, it can be a bit varied, but you've got to be so careful, so careful. It can ruin your trip. And don't forget, the longest I've spent at sea, 28 days. That's a long time to be out there in varying conditions uh, with all the problems that can come from living very closely to people. My crew lived in the front of the boat. So I had a cabin on the front, now, and a cabin down the back. So we were in effect 40 feet away. <laughs> and they had privacy up there. So it worked well. That's another consideration, of course. I mean, if the crew sleeps in the same area as you and that's putting extra stress on it no, life is full of what ifs some awesome like what if ai could fold your laundry and some well less awesome like what if you have unexpected medical costs united healthcare can help get you covered with health protector guard fixed indemnity insurance plans they supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The way you've uh, done your, the, or the way you did your adventure kind of speaks to your adventurous spirit as well, that you have gone about it alone and then you pick up people who are interested in an adventure and then you go and then do the adventure with them or part of it anyway. But let's talk about that adventure. You referenced earlier the European rivers and I, you mentioned that you sailed on the Danube and the Rhine river, uh, rivers in Europe and I hadn't realized that you could sail on those. Like, I'm quite familiar with those rivers and I've sailed on them on, like, a barge. And I've, I'm aware that they are big waterways. And it just never occurred to me that they are possible to navigate on a sailboat. So <laughs> can you tell a little bit about that experience, the European rivers uh, on a sailboat? Did you have a lifting keel or are they big enough for that, for any kind of keel on a sailboat? Uh, well, you've got to have, um, uh, I think, two point eight draft um, 
you at six feet, you're getting very close to the limit. Uh, and if the river drops uh, in, in height, because the Danube, for instance, is the largest volume waterway in Europe, and it has huge amounts of water coming down it. Um, and it does drop in the, in the, in the, in the drought regions or in the, in the winter. Um, it would drop, but you wouldn't want to be on it in the winter. Well, look, uh, I'm intrigued that you said you have Finnish background. Um, you know, the reason I got on the Danube was because a Finnish person was on a yacht, which I met in Turkey. He and his wife, a lovely couple. I went to Finland and saw him at one point. Not on the boat as such, but very close by. Anyway, um, he, he did the canals, he, uh, the, the river, I mean, the Danube. He took off and went up the river. And he had quite a big boat. I mean, I looked at the you know, and he said, I asked him when he got to the end of the back home, how did it go? He said, oh, wonderful, wonderful. I said, you really must do it. And I'm thinking, oh, why not? I mean, if you're into adventure, it's doing something different, isn't it? Everybody goes across to Croatia and down the Greek islands and all this stuff. And I'd already been in Turkey and done a bit of the Greek islands, and I love Turkey. I think it's fabulous cruising. But I thought, well, why not? So... A young Australian fellow, a rock climber, mountaineer type, was around Europe, and friends got in touch with him and said, David needs a group. He couldn't get there quick enough. And uh, he and I went up the uh, Bosphorus Rift, Rift um, Istanbul and uh, crossed to Romania, you see. And uh, we, um, we didn't quite know what we were taking on. We, you know, we just thought, well, we just keep going, and if we have to come home, We'll come back to Turkey. Poor things. Terrible off prospect, isn't it? I mean, to turn around and go back to Turkey in the Greek Isles. But anyway, so off we went. And we got to Romania. We, we pulled the mast out and uh, went through the, uh, the canal in that cuts across into the Danube and started our trip. And uh, the current wasn't much more than about two, maybe three knots maximum. Um, and the draft was okay. The biggest problem was avoiding the barges, huge barges. And, of course, the cruise ships that go up and down, they're, they're barges as well, and through the various uh, locks that you have to go through. And because um, the river is dammed, then they have locks around the dam. Yes, a wonderful trip, I mean, for heaven's sake. It was just amazing. And, uh, of course, well, I understand we were the only Australian yacht to ever go up there, up the river. No, no one goes up the river. No one's stupid enough. But, you know, we decided, at least I decided, if you were going to go to Europe, why not go up the river and see what happens? And this Finnish guy got there, so one of us. And it turned out we did get there. And we had to go down the Rhine. The Rhine is far more, well, exciting because it flows very quickly and has some very large boats on it and they come within inches of you, it seems. So we did that trip and it was just great. I recommend it to anybody. You can always do your uh, Greek islands bit, but you can't go up the Danube unless you've got a little yacht or something that pushes its way with its engine. As I said, 54 horsepower on a 10-ton yacht, no problem at all. And certainly the draft was fine. Uh, you know, you've got 1.8. In the canals, uh, you've got generally about 3.5 air height off the water, metres. So, uh, you know, you can get through tunnels and things that, Take. I went up the Danube into Amsterdam. I then went north. Over, I left the boat in England various times. I always escaped for the winter. I wasn't going to stay in Europe for the winter. <laughs> no way. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> you might live in Ottawa, but I'll be there for the summer. But anyway, <laughs> but anyway I, um, I uh, 
came back at various times over a number of years, and I did trips up through Holland and into the Baltic, and then up to Norway, top of the Arctic Circle, back down, across, it, across Sweden in the canal, the Gouta Canal, uh, across France in the canals, back to the Mediterranean eventually. And uh, it's a wonderful way to go. I just, you know, across Holland, you can do it with the mast up. Across Germany you need, and France, you need your mast down. Steel boat, of course, you just drop the mast quite easily because it doesn't go down to the keel. It's on the deck. Um, and it's very easy to take it down. People get all thingy about dropping their mast. And I can understand that a bit with the mast going through the boat uh, because it's quite dangerous putting it back in. But I um, didn't have that problem. And it's the benefit of steel, I guess. And uh, you just take it out. <laughs> and uh, sounds so simple, doesn't it? But in fact, it's not that hard. And, uh, and then you put it on a, a couple of crossed boards on deck and uh, off you go. Um, well, wonderful. Is it expensive to go up the rivers and the canals? No, it's not. Uh, you know, there's Danube, there's no marinas on the Danube. Um, you're just staying beside restaurants on the side or upside rivers and things and seeing these fabulous rivers from the rivers, cities from the river. Just amazing. Uh, so, you know, up to in, so you can go to France or, uh, up the Seine, which I did, and of course, you go across France on the canal, and uh, you go into a marina in the middle of Paris. Middle of Paris, I repeat, you're in a, on your yacht, <laughs> right in the middle, uh, paying very small amount of money. So it's amazing. So you know, like, the thing about cruising is that it's not just about sailing. It's not just about motoring. It's not about only those things. It's also about having the little side adventures, um, recognizing that you have to regenerate yourself sometimes and hop in a little, if you can afford it, a car or hitchhiking, which I did, um, you know, at various times. Um, but, you know, you, you need to do that to do, get the real experience of the whole lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. That's the important thing, I think. I think that would sum it up. Cruising is a lifestyle. It's not just cruising. My biggest little adventure on that sense was to backpack from Panama down to, uh, well, eventually almost to the, or to the Antarctic. Um, I went six months backpacking through various uh, countries, um, all the way down the Andes to um, you know, Patagonia, and then I joined a little ship across to, um, across to um, the Antarctic. They were, it was November and they were having trouble filling the ship, so they offered half-price fares across the Antarctic. Oh, isn't that amazing? So down we went. Mind you, we hit an iceberg on the way back, but that's okay. We survived. But, um, you know, the, uh, the thing is you do these things and it does in, just somehow make your trip that little different. That's what's so important. And so it's called enjoying the adventure. Let yourself flow. Let yourself be free. Forget all the telephone bills. Forget all the kind of rates bills. The house, you know, I sold my house. I was absolutely free of any debts when I left. Now, that's not easy for everybody to do, but it's the, it's the perfect situation. And I guess I was in the perfect situation at 68 for a small amount of money. I had a pension, um, but I could buy the boat because I sold the house. <laughs> and, uh, and off I went. Yeah, look. 
if you can, cut loose and just let it flow. And it will be a wonderful trip. It will be, believe me. I can only look back um, in, uh, in great memories. Oh, yes, I can imagine. Before I let you go, I'll have to ask you about one one of the destinations that you visited because it seemed really um, interestingly exotic, which is uh, St. Petersburg in Russia, and that you sailed there because that's, um, I haven't seen that on the top places uh, visited by sailors. <laughs> you don't see too many of those on my trip. Well, look, you know, isn't that interesting? Um, there's quite a story here, I'm afraid. One of my daughters had um, managed to get herself on an Australian-sponsored trip to Moscow for a G20 conference, um, and uh, she was there. And I thought, I'll get there early, you see. I was actually on a rally, which was with the Cruising Association of England, a wonderful organization, which is a great benefit to people cruising in European waters because they have a lot of information. But anyway, I... uh, I got to St. Petersburg, and you you have to go to Customs, which is a fair way off. There's a kind of an open port, a lot of water. And I I went there, and down came Customs, they didn't speak English. And then um, down came some other people, and they said, have you got a medical kit? And I said, oh, yes, no problem, here it is. They went through it and found codeine. And codeine is illegal in Russia. Well, I'd signed the document saying I had no drugs, and suddenly I I was in trouble. And uh, they said, look, sir, I'm sorry, but you've signed the document and you've got these codeine tablets. And I didn't even know they were there. They were in a medical kit put together by a New Zealand doctor who was a crew on board at one time. I didn't know what was in it. I never used it. I never got ill. Anyway, um, so there I was. Now, I had a crew, a young Australian guy. And uh, poor fellow, I was off dealing with this these customs people. And he's on the boat thinking I, I was off to... Off to you know, Moscow, they go down and live in the dungeons under the, under the ship. <laughs> you know, anyway, I made out a documentary, a document statement saying it was all you know, a bit silly, all this. And, uh, but for two weeks, I wasn't allowed to leave Moscow, uh, like leave St. Petersburg. But that didn't matter because I was having a wonderful time in St. Petersburg. Uh, and uh, they uh, eventually, Moscow's um, public servants put the weight down on this young local guy and said, let him go because we're trying to encourage Yachty to come to St. Petersburg. <laughs> and this wasn't going to help. And of course, I let them know that I wasn't going to help them either if they didn't let me go. So uh, you've got to be very careful when you're cruising to ensure that you stay on the right side of the bureaucracy, be it the police, the customs, the diplomatic service, or any part of it, um, you do everything you can to keep away from any of that. So, you know, you don't complain when you're dealing with customs for a full day when you're in India, for instance, or it takes a long time in the Caribbean as well. Uh, you just let that happen. If someone comes aboard and wants to have a look at your papers, show them your papers. So be very nice to them. I'm not saying you, you know, you'd be overly pleasant and rushing around making them cups of tea and things. Uh, but when you go through the Suez Canal, for instance, people complain about the pilots. Um, oh, the pilot wants more money, or you know, this, that, and the other. You've got to remember, these people get paid practically nothing. They're living rather well, even compared to my pension. Um, you know, and uh, so you, you know, you can be firm. Look, I don't have any more money to give you, um, and they'll respect that. But to start getting on your high horse about it, that's not going to work. And that was what happened in in Fiji as well. Uh, we were hit by um, a big ship, um, broke loose, 
and in the harbour of uh, Suva and uh, nearly sunk Sahula. Um, she was hit bow on, rolled over, but fortunately we lost our anchor completely. The ship went aground and Sahula kept drifting and uh, we were able to get aboard and, and, and escape. But, you know, that one of the people who was there were five yachts hit and one of the people, it was an American guy, he, he was a bit over the top on things and he started carrying on. Well, he never got paid for his damage. We did. And uh, we negotiated with them carefully and uh, the harbour board put the weight on the ship owner, the, ferret, the boat that broke loose, and he paid up in cash, I might say. It wasn't a lot of money, but it helped to have it done. And, uh, um, so, you know, you've got to be careful when you go cruising. You will probably be at your most relaxed that you're capable of if you're cruising. Or if you're not, you should be. Because you don't have many worries, really. Um, you know, if you're going to worry about whether you're going to survive at sea, what you should not shouldn't leave. But you should be relaxed, taking it as it comes, enjoying the adventure, wondering how this wonderful world can be like this. You know, countries with great cultures, wonderful people, uh, just wonderful people. And uh, you sit there and you think, why is the world such a mess? Uh, with all these wonderful people. So you've got to be careful you don't upset the governments. There's a problem. Uh, not always, but very careful. And if you do those things and go small, go simple, go soon, you will have a wonderful trip. I recommend it. I'm now 75, and I might do another one. <laughs> With the lid, of course. <laughs> well, I was, I was going to ask about that because, of course, you have, uh, speaking of wonderful people, I think you have now lost your solo sailor status. Oh, oh, and uh, so great. what does the sailing look like for you and Lynn now? Well, you know, Lynn just came into my life through a, an amazing set of happenings. Uh, it's really amazing, really. And, of course, she's a wonderful sailor. She's trained by a wonderful man, Larry. And, of course, we would think of doing more cruising. We have a little boat, which we're my boat, which we're doing up. It, uh, it's been checked for rust and been rebuilt inside. And uh, I think in a few years' time, and not too long, or maybe only a year and a half or so, we may ship it to Europe, um, take a short run to Europe on the ship, and then do Europe and cross, to, cross the Atlantic. And, and who knows? Who knows? Um, it's a risk, of course, but, you know, if you want to do things... And, of course, when you're at our age, um, it's either do now or never. You just don't know when you're into that 70s danger zone when, what's going to be. But you've got to be positive. We may do this. We may not. We may just do cruising around the Pacific. Uh, we may do cruising around the beautiful parts of New Zealand, the wonderful cruising world, or over to Australia again. There's no limits, are there? You've got a boat. The sea is your highway. And if it's your highway... There's no stopping it. It's not just four lanes. It's a billion lanes. You can't get lost. If you get lost, well, lucky you, because you'll be having the adventure of a lifetime finding your way out of it. And that's what it's all about. <laughs> oh, that is so beautifully said. That is perfect. My closing words are these. There's no excuse for a boring life. Well, that was a great way to end an episode, especially coming from someone who has led such an adventurous life. What an inspiration he is, and I'm very grateful to have heard David's stories and advice about taking risks and chasing adventure. 
I imagine there are people listening now who are thinking about getting into the cruising life after retirement, and I hope that this episode gave you a lot of motivation to keep pursuing that plan. If you liked this episode, do let me know by getting in touch on Facebook or Instagram, by leaving a review on your podcast app, or by sending me an email at hello at liveaboardsailingpodcast.com. And if you really like the show, consider becoming a monthly supporter on Patreon. Just check the link in the description for more details. Next week, it's time for yet another story from a different part of the world. So stay tuned and bye for now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.